You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Andrew Work. And in our segment today, Your Money, uh, Carolyn Wright takes a deeper dive into what you need to know before you consider joining an Orso pension scheme. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. And today I am taking another look at Orso schemes. We recently spoke with Graham Cottingham, CEO at Quartermain, and he joins me once again to take a deep dive into using also schemes. Now, last time you explained quite a lot of the differences between the mandatory provident fund, which obviously clues in the name, mandatory, and also schemes voluntary. Yes. Now, now there, there's a lot of all other differences to do with the amount of money you put in and how frequently you do that, and also considering making sure that you don't overstep what you can actually afford to save. So what are the sort of questions that um, a, an advisor would ask a potential investor in one of these schemes or, or what kind of budgeting should you be putting together before you go to, to see one to um, decide whether you want to join? Obviously, you've got a lot of people around who've got all sorts of different circumstances. So earlier in life, you might have people who are single and perhaps are not earning so much. Um, they may not have so much spare cash. And then later on in life, people might have got married and had children and they have other outgoings and so forth. And one of the big advantages with the occupational scheme structure is that because of its voluntary nature, you're not um, mandated to put money in in particular amounts at particular times. And so whilst some people do like to make contributions on a monthly basis as a part of their monthly budget, other people might wait until they receive an annual bonus or something like that and uh, then make top-up contributions from that uh, on top, of course, of what the employer puts in. So it's, it's really a matter of, of being rather variable according to the circumstances of different people. Um, in terms of what we do to help people identify the correct amounts, uh, I think it's very important that people don't overstretch themselves on this sort of thing. It's much better to start earlier and younger with smaller amounts and not overcommit to it rather than overstretch and then find that there's some emergency that can't be covered because there are inadequate savings in ordinary investments. It seems like it is very much a case-by-case -case basis and you have to do some analysis. It, 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 it's something that you shouldn't just jump into without thinking about it first. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, we, we have some um, reasonably sophisticated actuarial calculations that we've, we've put into a sort of spreadsheet format and we collect information from, from people who are contemplating making these investments and can help them identify the amount that they need in retirement on the basis of the various commitments that they've got and the various living standards that they want to maintain and so forth, um, but also what they've got in terms of available resources now and what their income levels are and so forth. You know, it's, it's one of these things that needs a little bit of thought to, to be done well, but it's no different to the rest of the family budgeting, really, is it? <laughs> yep, no, everything needs very careful planning nowadays. Now, a lot of people, you were talking there about ambitions for retirement. 
some people may be considering the idea of retiring abroad. Maybe, you know, they want to go and sit by the beach somewhere or, or somewhere that's, you know, next to a golf course. Who knows? Whatever your interest happens to be and whatever you've been dying to do whilst you've been sat in an office all day long or, or maybe not nowadays since remote working is so popular. But are, are there considerations around that that people need to make when planning for retirement? Yes, and indeed, even before uh, planning for retirement, because, as you know, I mean, Hong Kong is such a cosmopolitan place and p people come here and do a, do a stint here and then they go off somewhere else and maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't. And so portability is quite important, even whilst still employed, but certainly afterwards. There are a number of double tax treaties that are in place between Hong Kong and a variety of other jurisdictions around the world and I think actually Hong Kong has done quite well in building up that treaty network and those tax treaties amongst other things tend to include provisions for making sure that people don't pay tax twice on income which may include pension income sometimes there are different provisions for pensions in those treaties um, but generally speaking, the, the Hong Kong uh, structure for pensions works rather well because it's possible to draw pensions from the Hong Kong structure in a, in a tax-free way um, and therefore they tend to be tax-efficient abroad. And if in the meantime the assets in those pensions are held in a trust, so it's outside of that person's estate, and it's in Hong Kong, which is a low-tax jurisdiction, so you have no gains tax on, on the, um, the developing value of the funds that the pension is held in, and you have no inheritance tax in the situation of an individual passing away before they're able to use this money for the intended purpose, um, then it's very efficient as part of an inheritance tax planning uh, arrangement, a succession planning arrangement. Um, so this, this, these are just a few of the advantages that accrue to both the people who are putting the pension in place and their, their families, their heirs and successors. Now, interestingly, we were talking beforehand about whether you can join one of these schemes and basically it's whether your employer has one set up. That's what you're saying, wasn't it? Yes. Or if you're self-employed, you can do it yourself. So, so this is where the kind of family aspect comes in again. Maybe you've got a family business and, and the people you employ effectively are, are your relatives. So is it worth people who have, they are self-employed or only have a small number of, of staff members, should they be looking into this? It's not a worry that uh, a company is a particular size. It doesn't have to be an enormous multinational company to have one of these things. It's, it's, it, what should be the main concern is uh, making sure that people have got a decent benefits package and at the individual level planning for retirement is one of the most important aspects of financial planning that anyone can ever do. So obviously businesses you just said of, of any size can set up one of these schemes. What, yes. what are the benefits that it can provide to the, the business owner? Is there anything that it does do for them? Yes, well, as we discussed in the last session, uh, these are tax neutral as far as the employer is concerned in the sense that the employer will pay an employee a certain amount that they decide in, in benefits, but it doesn't make any difference to them how much of that is paid in salary and how much of it is paid in pension. 
So using the 15% allowance for pensions uh, is, is sensible because that improves the position for the individuals. But it's actually a lot more important than that for the employer because of the talent retention arrangements. In fact, employers can make adjustments to the vesting arrangements of the scheme, which means that they can really genuinely set this up as, a, as an incentive programme where the longer that somebody participates, the higher a percentage of a particular pension pot they're able to, to earn. And so it's a sort of form of reward bonus for um, staying with the employer for longer. So this sort of thing can, can very easily be done. Um, it's really, there are, there are lots of aspects of flexibility in the way that an also scheme can be structured, which, which is rather different to the way an MPF works. Um, incidentally, that also extends to uh, people who are internationally mobile, going back to your last point, because if you need to adjust the trust deed or the scheme rules to accommodate rules in different countries and make sure that it's compliant in more than one jurisdiction, it's often possible to do that in an occupational scheme too. Which is, is something that's becoming more and more common if we think about the amount of people who are remote working. They may not necessarily just be working from home in the same city as you. They could be working from home somewhere thousands of miles away from you. Oh, yes. You know, we're living in an era of digital nomads and so on and, and, and people sort of dashing around on assignment all over the place. And actually, people who are not resident in Hong Kong but are employed by a Hong Kong employer can still participate in one of these schemes. I mean, the, the, the key is the nexus of employment with Hong Kong. In most cases, that means somebody who's actually resident here as well. But others can participate too. Interesting, interesting. Now, what about administration? You know, you said in terms of tax for, for companies, it doesn't make any, any difference. It's tax neutral for them. Is, is there a lot of paperwork? Not so much. I mean, of course, it really depends on how complicated an investment structure people want to put in place. And particularly when you get involved with sophisticated investment professionals, and we've got plenty of those around the city. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, you know, some of them come up with some quite elaborate ideas as to how they want to organise investments. But if it's a straightforward collection of investment funds or something like that, it's really not difficult to administer. And the employer would simply make contributions to the scheme administer, administrator and, and those contributions would be allocated to whatever assets had been designated. And um, there is a usual sort of reporting arrangement that members can see what's in their account when they need to and, and hopefully watch, them, watch the figures build up nicely as they approach retirement. Simple as that. All right, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much, Graham Cottingham, CEO at Quartermain, for joining me today. I'll be back with more on Money Talk tomorrow.